Welcome in to Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace, coming at you. It is Friday, June 23rd. We are about 24 hours out from the conclusion of the 2023 NBA draft. And uh, as usual, guys, a lot a lot has gone down since the last time we spoke. I think, uh, you know, the Wizards officially hit the big red button um, and blew this thing up. You know, Chris Paul has been traded twice. Uh, since my last podcast episode and of course we had 58 draft picks and we're going to talk about each and every one no we're not going to talk about each and every one because i am <laughs> still in the process of learning of, about a lot of the guys uh that were drafted last night there's a few i obviously have a knowledge of and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the winners and the big loser of the nfl of the nba draft in my opinion uh but before we do go get into that man uh, we have three really, really notable trades to talk about. Of course, as you guys would expect, I have to talk about the trade with my uh, beloved Boston Celtics and, of course, the deal that sent Marcus Smart to the Memphis Grizzlies, as well as a couple other deals that we need to go through before we can get into the results of the NBA draft. So let's not waste any time, man. We're going to dive into the first trade of the last week or so, uh, the first notable trade anyways, and this was between the Phoenix Suns and the Washington Wizards. So let's start off with the Suns, right? This is, of course, a team that was uh, very much contending for an NBA title. Of course, they were actually the most competitive team, you could argue, besides Denver this playoffs, as they were the only team to beat Denver twice in the second round of the Western Conference playoffs. Uh, and they actually made a really big splash move here. They received Bradley Beal, um, as the headliner, of course, in this trade, they also received Isaiah Todd and uh, Jordan Goodwin. Never heard of those people in my life. And then on the wizard side of things, they received Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, cash considerations, four different first round pick swaps over the next, I want to say, eight or nine years or so. Um, and then six second round picks. So, again, uh, the, the meat and potatoes of this deal is Chris Paul was traded to the Washington Wizards as well as Landry Shamit. Four first-round pick swaps, six second-round picks, and the Suns got back uh, basically just Bradley Beal in return. So let's talk about it, man. I think, of course, you know, Washington made a bunch of moves here, as I already kind of mentioned. So we're going to talk about Washington and, and the outlook for, uh, you know, maybe if there are any Wizards fans listening to this, we'll kind of talk about more about the outlook and the direction of that team at the once we talk about all three of the moves at the conclusion of the third move here. But let's talk about the, the analysis from the Phoenix side at first, right? They get a guy in Bradley Beal, right? And and this is, of course, a team that now, you know, at least they have a big three, if you will. We haven't, you know, I feel like the era of, of big threes in the NBA is kind of over. Um, I know that that was very popular, you know, back in 2008 with the Celtics, of course, and the Heat as well. And then, you know, we've had a few other big threes along the way. But, um, you know, Phoenix definitely has one in terms of three all-star level talents. And, of course, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and now Bradley Beal as well. But, you know, Bradley Beal, he's, he's been kind of wasting away in Washington, as you will. I think he has a repu uh, reputation as a really great scorer, a really great three-point shooter. But let's just kind of dive into how true that really is. Because, unfortunately for Bradley Beal, it's it's not 2018 anymore, right? Um, just some quick stats on Bradley Beal. I don't want to be too negative. But the guy hasn't played more than 60 games in a season since 2018. So, obviously, he's a smaller guard. He's been dealing with injuries on and off for the past couple years. Uh, and he did have some really bright moments during his career, namely in the 2019 and 2020 season, uh, where he averaged 30 plus points a game. He did so the following season as well in the 2020-21 season. Uh, but then the past two seasons, he's kind of come back down to earth, averaging just 23 points per game. Again, has the repu uh, reputation of being a really great sharpshooter, great three-point shooter. Um, however, I think his reputation kind of exceeds the reality in this situation because he has shot just 33% uh, from three-point land the past two seasons and is not overall as efficient as one might think. But, you know, that being said, I do expect his three-point percentage to jump quite a bit when he's in Phoenix rather than he's, you know, whether rather than the time he spent with the Wizards, mainly because, look, he's, he's, of course, you know, he was the focal point of the Washington offense. I know he had some talent surrounding him last year, uh, you know, with, of course, Christos Porzingis, who we'll talk about in a little bit, as well as Kyle Kuzma being surrounded by him. But that is absolutely nothing compared to being surrounded with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Um, as we saw, there were dudes being left wide open in the playoffs for Phoenix. You know, guys like Landry Shamit had big moments. Torrey Craig was pretty good for them. Josh Okoji was left wide open all playoffs. And so you would kind of expect Bradley Beal to be taking a lot more open three-point shots um, in Phoenix rather than in Washington. So I would expect that three-point percentage to jump quite a bit. But he's not hes not Clay Thompson, all right? He's not a, a you know, straight-up sharpshooter. He is more of an all-around scorer, or at least he has been in Washington at this point. 
but there are some red flags with with acquiring him still right you know first and foremost again he's he's kind of a defensive liability right he's only six foot four um he's never you know been much of a perimeter defender and you know certainly he's stepping into a phoenix team that's kind of devoid of of somebody to fill that role like you know obviously it seemed like josh Okoji got the most of their minutes in like the fifth man spot of their starting lineup because of his ability to defend on the perimeter you know bradley beal certainly isn't helping them in that at that point and again you know i'd imagine bradley beal also takes that you know fifth starting spot in, in at least in, in to close out big games for phoenix and he's a massive downgrade on the defensive end of the court you know rather than a guy like josh Koji or tory craig who phoenix had last season um but that being said they made a splash play right they they obviously didn't get up give up much to get bradley beal in this situation right like again just giving up chris paul landry shamit you know a bunch of pick swaps and some second round picks you know, I, I am confident in saying that Phoenix acquired the best possible player they could without giving up Booker, Durant, or Aiton in this situation, right? You know, obviously with the salary cap, um, you know, kind of changing here, the new collective bargaining agreement, which we've talked a little bit about in past podcasts, that is coming into effect or at least starting to come into effect this upcoming season. So it's going to be a lot more difficult for teams to afford, you know, as many star players as they did in the past. But you know, by making this trade work and, um, you know, they're, they're going to have to work around the margins and only be able to afford, you know, very small contracts surrounding their, you know, big three or four players. Um, so, it, you know, the, the question just becomes, is it worth it for the, is Bradley Beal worth it, right? He's certainly the best player that they could have brought in, but would that money have been better spent on maybe getting another mid-level contract in the fold or at least kind of using that salary cap and, and kind of dispersing it better to acquire more depth because, Phoenix has literally no bench at this point. They, you know, again, new owner here, another splash play. They, they got another guy to put on the poster. Um, so we'll see what they end up doing. Now, they still have the ability to likely move DeAndre Ayton if they wanted to and maybe, you know, make the rare trade where, you know, they give up the best player in the deal and, and give up DeAndre Ayton, but they acquire a few pieces to add to the bench and maybe they cheap out at the center position. We will see. I would expect more moves for Phoenix to come because they have to find a way to, to fill out this roster somehow. But um, they certainly acquired the most talented player they could without giving up one of their existing big three players, right? Um, they move on from Chris Paul, but we kind of saw that coming, right? Um, you know, certainly it was reported, you know, a couple weeks ago now by, I think, Chris Haynes uh, of uh, Bleacher Report. Um, originally that Chris Paul was getting released, which of course ended up not being true, but we knew that it was likely, um, you know, Chris Paul had already played his last game in Phoenix and that came to fruition with this deal. Um, quickly, we'll talk about it from the Washington perspective. Um, you know, this was, you know, you could look at it and be like, man, Washington got raked over the coals, right? They, they barely got anything for Bradley Beal, who's been their best player over the last five or so years. And while that's true, you have to remember that really, you know, Washington screwed themselves when they signed Bradley Beal to this contract last year, right? It's a massive max contract for Bradley Beal. And he also has a no trade clause, which is extremely rare in this day and age. So basically, Bradley Beal had the ability to pick his destination, right? If he didn't want to play in Phoenix, he could have just said no to this trade. And of course, he picked Phoenix because he has a chance to contend for a title. And it's certainly a destination uh, that a lot of pro players want to end up playing at. So Washington's hands were kind of tied with what they could do for Beal, even though he's a talented player. You, ha you can't really look at him as an asset when he's being paid that much money. And, uh, you know, basically, you know, they were able to really only recoup some scraps, but they have a lot more cap flexibility. Chris Paul is, of course, an expiring contract, and he was later moved again, which we will talk about shortly. So they acquired a lot more flexibility and at least some draft capital. And the big thing is they were kind of paying to get rid of Bradley Beal and get off of that massive contract for more flexibility in the future. So more on the Wizards to come. But again, overall, you know, Phoenix rolled the dice. They're going to have a very talented team. We'll see how they decide to fill out the rest of their roster. I certainly don't love it as of right now because, again, I, I just think because of the defensive shortcomings and, you know, Bradley Beal not being quite as good of a three-point shooter as we might imagine him to be, I don't think he's necessarily the best fit there, but it's hard to complain, you know, when you look on paper and see what Phoenix gave up. They didn't give up a ton to get a guy as talented as Bradley Beal. So we will see how Phoenix decides to, you know, fill out the rest of their roster here. Now let's talk about, you know, most likely the one that you guys are most interested in hearing about. There was a very big deal that took place about two nights ago now uh, on the night of June 21st, right before the NBA draft that, you know, sent away Marcus Smart from the Boston Celtics and a deal with the Grizzlies and a deal with that the Wizards were involved with as well. Uh, so let's get into it, guys. Let's kind of go through the details of the trade first. Let's start with the Celtics. In this deal, the Celtics received Kristaps Porzingis, the center from the Washington Wizards. 
They were able to acquire the number 25 pick in last night's draft, which, of course, they later uh, traded out of that spot. They traded back in the draft a few times. And they also acquired a 2024 first-round pick of the Golden State Warriors, so what's likely going to be a very late pick in next year's draft as well, but still a first-round pick for the Celtics next year. The Grizzlies in this deal, they received only Marcus Smart, and the Wizards received Tyus Jones of the Grizzlies, who was a backup point guard there last season. Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala, who were, you know, Gallo got hurt, didn't play last year for the Celtics, and Mike Muscala, who was kind of like our 11th man last year, uh, as well as the number 35 pick in last night's draft. So, Again, the Celtics, they basically were able to move up 10 spots in the draft last night. They got Kristaps Porzingis, and they got a future first. Grizzlies get Marcus Smart, and the Wizards really just get Tyus Jones, um, you know, an early second-round pick, and then some contract filler, right? Let's break it down, right? Um, you know, the, the headline here for, you know, fellow Boston sports fans is the Celtics move on from Marcus Smart, right? This was a deal that came to the surprise of many, and apparently to the surprise of Marcus Smart as well. So let's kind of talk about it, right? I think it, it really comes down to a, a heart versus brain debate, right? And let's start off by saying, like, it's okay. It's okay to be sad that we gave up Marcus Smart. Like, it sucks. I'm certainly not the biggest Marcus Smart guy, but I think you're a little heartless if you don't get a little emotional at the thought of Marcus Smart wearing a different team's jersey. You know, again, he's been on the team for nine seasons now. We got him in, what, the 2014 draft, I want to say? Uh, yeah, right? That makes sense. Um, and he's everything you could have wanted in a Boston Celtic over the past nine years, right? He embraced the city in a way unlike really any other athlete during my life, right? Especially for like a non-superstar player, like, right, you've had, you know, Red so famous Red Sox like David Ortiz embrace the city. And, of course, Brady embraced the city in certain ways, Gronk, guys like that. But as on the Celtic side of things, I think he was the happiest to be a, a Celtic out of really anyone I've ever seen um, in my life of, of supporting this city. So um, it's really awesome to see, you know, he obviously had some accolades during his time with the Celtics as well, you know, being on an all-defensive team three different times. Um, he was a three-time <laughs> winner of the Hustle Award for what that's worth. I don't really know. But, and of course, a one-time Defensive Player of the Year when he was able to win that, um, you, know, you know, basically two years ago now, he was the Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, and this all came on really fast, right? As Celtics fans know, I had a few of you guys reach out and, and text me about the original trade that was reported. And it was basically similar guidelines, right? It was a three-team trade uh, between the Celtics, the Wizards, and then the third team in the original scenario was actually the Clippers, right? And instead of Marcus Smart being the centerpiece of the deal for the Celtics, it was actually Malcolm Brogdon. So basically it was, you know, Brogdon and, and you know, scraps for, for Porzingis, right? That was the original offer and and. It was reported, it was, you know, likely going down, and, and Woj and a bunch of other people had tweeted about it. And then it was reported, you know, a couple hours later, basically five hours later, that the deal had fallen apart, right? The sides couldn't come to an agreement. Eventually, we learned that the Clippers were basically scared of, you know, the medical history of Mal Malcolm Brogdon. They couldn't get a physical in time or something like that, and they lost interest, and, and you know, all sides decided to move on. Uh, I shouldn't say all sides, but I guess Clippers decided to move on, and then Memphis and Boston, of course, continued to pursue the deal, and then very shortly after it was announced that the deal had original deal had fallen apart, they agreed upon this offer here that sent Marcus Smart. You know, they subbed him out for Brogdon and they found the other third team, which of course was the Grizzlies in this scenario, and the trade happened. So yeah, man, it's okay to be sad to miss Marcus Smart. Um, this really sucks. It came on really fast. And um, obviously, you know, us Celtics fans love Brogdon, but he's certainly not as, you know, attached to the fan base as a guy like Marcus Smart was. Um, so if you're going to get mad at anyone, uh, my friend Connor, of course, pointed this out. Like, you can get mad at the Clippers, right? Like, we could have, you know, had Porzingis without having to give up Marcus Smart. If there's anyone you should be frustrated with, I don't think it should be the front office of the Celtics for trying to improve the team here. I think you should be pissed at the Clippers uh, for backing out of this deal at the, at the you know, the 12th hour, right? Um, but yeah, man, again, we traded our longest tenured player, the heart and soul of a team. Um, and we got back a guy who has a lot of upside in Kristaps Porzingis, but he's also a guy that has, you know, only played in 60 or more games, three out of his eight years in the league, right? Again, Kristaps was drafted one year after Marcus Smart. He's played eight seasons and he's only reached 60 games in three out of the eight seasons that he's played. So major, major health red flags with Porzingis all over the place. But he has a lot of upside, which we'll talk about. Um, and we also, I have to talk about this now, right? I think it stings the most. I saw the shitty Photoshop of Marcus Smart wearing a Grizzlies jersey. That one really stings, right? Like, of course, we didn't end up trading him to, like, one of our in-conference rivals, like Philly or Miami or Milwaukee. So there's certainly worse destinations that we could have sent Marcus. It's nice that he's on the West Coast, a team that likely we wouldn't face unless we somehow met them in the finals, which would be nuts. 
Um, you know, we wouldn't have to face them in the playoffs, of course. But I hate Memphis. I absolutely hate Memphis. You guys know I hate Memphis. It's been well documented on this podcast. So, like, I'm going to root for Marcus Smart. I'm going to root for him for the rest of that guy's career, for what he's done for Boston, how great of a Celtic that he was. But it really sucks. I have to. I have anybody on Memphis that I think is likable uh, because Marcus Smart. I'm going to have to root for him, even though he's wearing a Memphis jersey, right? So, yep, it's okay. It's okay to be upset about the deal if you like Marcus Smart, if you care about the team, if you care about the culture that we've had over the past couple years. But, you know, after thinking about it, you know, 24 hours after the trade or so, um, I kind of landed on, like, the more I think about it, you know, my brain, my brain is telling me that I think the deal makes sense, right? I think it, it, you know, it obviously remains to be seen if this deal will pay off, but I think the risk is worth the potential reward, right? Um, It's indisputable that this deal where the Celtics acquire Kristaps Porzingis you know, and as well as, you know, they traded up in the draft and then, of course, a future first-round pick. It is indisputable that this deal raises the ceiling of the team. If everything goes well and Kristaps is healthy for us throughout the, this upcoming playoff run next season, then the deal, like, the ceiling of the team will be higher. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Kristaps is that talented of a player. Um, and let's kind of talk a little bit more about Kristaps Porzingis for you guys that don't know a lot about him. He provides something that the Celtics have not had in a very long time. And that's just, first and foremost, a, a massive dude, right? That guy's seven foot three. That's huge. That is absolutely massive, right? And he's what? Are, like this, Out of the guys that actually play in the NBA, is he like the second tallest player behind like Wemby? No disrespect to Boban. I don't think he's getting many minutes. Maybe he's the third tallest player in the NBA. But Kristaps is absolutely huge. And that's, again... Big guys don't often last very long injury-wise, so that's probably why he's had so many you know, injuries pop up and injuries plague him throughout his career. But he's a really unique player. They called him the uniform, uh, Unicorn. The Uniform. That'd be a shitty nickname. They called him the Unicorn uh, mainly based off of his time when he was drafted uh, by the Knicks in, in what, 2015 uh, because of how well he could move for a guy at 7'3". He provides really, really great rim protecting. Of course, that makes sense. He's 7'3". He's, you know, averaged, you know, basically two blocks a game for his entire career. Really solid floor spacing as well. He can shoot the three ball. He shoots 36% uh, from three-point range on his career. And part of the reason that we went out and made this deal is because this guy's actually coming off of, you know, arguably his best season as a pro. Um, you could you could certainly make that argument with Washington, of course. He had his career high in points. He averaged, you know, 23 points a game. Uh, career high in assists as well. He averaged three assists a game. And he shot a career best in total, you know, as far as efficient field goal percent shooting goes as well. So, you know, when healthy, again, keyword, when healthy, he provides some really unique stuff for the Celtics, right? Because it gives us a lot of flexibility with our front court, right? He can play alongside Al Horford, right? And when he is playing along uh, alongside Al Horford, he can essentially be the center, right? He can be in the dunker spot. He can stay close to the basket while a guy like Al is still able to space the floor. If we want to, you know, play him alongside a guy like Rob Williams, you know, Rob Williams obviously, you know, lacks a perimeter jump shot at this point in his career. You know, we can still have Porzingis spacing the floor while Rob Williams is in that dunker spot. He can play alongside both of our current big men flawlessly, right? And again, you know, still if we want to go five out and have, you know, Al, you know, Porzingis, Tatum, Brown, and White out there and have, you know, five three-point shooters that could make it a lot easier to get to the basket, a lot easier for us to get hot and break down a zone like what you might see against Miami. So, you know, again, I think that, when healthy, he adds a huge ceiling to the to the team. What the frustrating thing about it, and again, my biggest issue is like, look, we're giving up a sure thing in Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart's obviously battled a lot of different injuries throughout his career. For those that follow this team closely, you know that, you know, he was certainly not at the level he was when he won. You know, he, he was not at the level he was last season as he was the previous season when he won Defensive Player of the Year. He definitely took a step back. It looked like he was kind of battling through injuries all year. But even when Marcus Smart's hurt, you, you kind of expect him to play through it at this point. You certainly don't have that same expectation here with Kristaps. And Marcus Smart is as close as you can get to a sure thing. Even when the offense is shaky and, and the, some of the decision-making is shaky, he's going to give it 100% on defense. He's going to make a couple wow plays that can swing momentum in a game. And you're getting a guy that you just don't know is going to be out there in Kristaps. And I think it's really frustrating because, look, RJ and I identified after, you know, we talked after the Celtics got bounced. Like, look, obviously the number one thing that this team needs is another big in some way, shape, or form. And preferably just a younger guy, maybe someone that just can eat up minutes that we can survive with during the regular season. Because, again, Al Horford was unbelievable. That dude's like, what, is Al like 36 now? Like, he's not going to be able to continue to play 100 plus games of basketball multiple seasons in a row and be really good for us in the playoffs like 
at some point, like, you know, Al's entering, you know, the, he's in the twilight of his career, right? We cannot continue to expect this level of production for him. We got blessed again with overall, I know he had his ups and downs in the postseason, but a really solid postseason from Al still. Um, if we want to have anything close to what we got from his postseason production last year, if we want to get that again this upcoming season, we have to drastically reduce his minutes during the regular season. And you would like to think that Rob Williams could be the guy to put out there because he's younger. But as uh, Celtics fans know, Rob Williams is also made of glass. So there's still not like a go-to big man in the rotation to just eat up minutes in the regular season, do the dirty work. And so I would expect us to add another big at some point. And it sucks that we're trading away Marcus Smart and we're making this big splash play. And we still have somewhat of a need of a fourth big in our rotation. Now, maybe that ends up being Grant Williams. You could argue he has some positional flexibility. I know he's a, you know, an undersized power forward or whatever you want to call him. But if we're able to maintain Grant, could he eat up some of those minutes? Certainly. But Lord knows it's not going to be a guy like Luke Cornett. I'm so tired of seeing that guy. He shouldn't even be on the team, even as like a 13th man. So, you know, we'll see what the Celtics end up doing. But I think it does kind of answer a few questions about what the rest of this Celtics offseason will look like, right? The front office recognized that something had to give, right? As RJ and I talked about, yes, they've had a lot of success over the past, you know, seven or so years with this, this current team, right? Um, you know, a bunch of Eastern Conference Finals appearances, of course, a Finals appearance, um, you know, in the previous season against the Warriors. They've had a lot of success, but ultimately it, it, it's it's kind of run its course with the current core, right? Like it, it didn't seem like this team was suddenly going to get over the hump next season, especially with teams like Denver emerging and whatnot. So something had to give. And I am glad that if they were going to make a splash play to one of our core four or five guys, that they decided to move on from Marcus Smart and not a guy like Jalen Brown. Because the Jalen Brown thing, as we've talked about before, could go wrong in a lot of different ways. If we don't offer him the max contract, he's going to get super pissed. And then we're going to end up having to trade him for likely 75 cents or 50 cents on the dollar. And really, anybody you trade Jalen Brown for is not going to be as good as Jalen Brown, or at least is not going to be as good as Jalen Brown is right now to help us win. Because if we do trade Jalen Brown for a guy like Scoot Henderson, who ended up going with the third pick to Portland or something like that, I know that was a, a common offer that was thrown around. Yeah, Scoot could end up being really good someday, but the odds that a rookie is able to step in on a championship team and, you know, compete alongside Jason Tatum, who's entering the prime of his career, suddenly we're then wasting Tatum, some of his prime years and all that shit. Like, Again, it's best to not mess around with a guy like Jalen Brown. Just pay him his the max contract that he's, for the most part, earned over the last several years. So if they were going to make a splash play, I'm very happy that it's for, you know, moving on from a guy like Marcus Smart rather than a guy like Jalen Brown. Um, it is worth noting is, you know, we'll, actually, I'll talk about it, it from the Grizzlies' perspective in a second. Let me just stay on the Celtics for a little bit longer here. Um, we still, you know, especially now that, you know, Gallinari, he, he might've been able to give us something. He was, a, we signed him to a contract before last season. He got hurt before the season started, didn't play any games for us. You know, he was a guy that I was looking forward to having back to have an extra scoring wing and a veteran presence off the bench. We literally have like no wings uh, off the bench behind Tatum and Brown. So that is a need we very much need to address. You know, maybe we decide to just sign another big and, you know, Grant is that wing in that situation? I don't really know, but I, I think it would be nice to get some youth there. I was hoping that they were going to end up taking a, a wing with the 25th pick that they acquired in this deal. That, of course, didn't end up happening, but we definitely need to add some wing depth, potentially add another big man to the rotation. And this is kind of a cool opportunity for Peyton Pritchard as well, I should touch upon, right? Um, he's a guy that actually, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast before, but he did request a trade a couple weeks back, which I understood and respected. I think that dude is way overqualified to be a fourth guard in a rotation. He, I, I'm I'm sure he was just asking for a trade, not because he hated Boston or anything like that, uh, but mostly because he wants to get to that first big, you know, free agent contract, right? He wants to prove his worth, make his money and play on a team and, and get more minutes during the regular season. Um, you know, it didn't look likely that he, you know, it made sense that he wasn't playing last year. He was far and away our fourth, you know, he was only our fourth best guard. He's behind white. He's behind smart. He's behind Brogdon. Now he's back. You know, he should be the first guard off the bench for us. If things stay as is right. Assuming he still wants to be in Boston and that trade request, uh, we don't meet now that he's happier with a bigger role in Boston. I think he's perfectly capable to be our backup point guard, and I am excited to see him in an expanded role this upcoming season for the Celtics. Obviously, defensively, he has you know some red flags because of his size and whatnot, but he fights hard. He can be a spark off the bench. He can make take tough shots, make tough shots, solid three-point shooter. Excited to see Peyton Pritchard in a longer role. 
And another good thing about the deal is, look, you know, Christoph Porzingis, I should mention, part of the reason this deal was able to get done is because he had a player option for this season. Um, there was some indecision and, and some ambiguity around if he was going to opt into that player option for, I think it was like $36 million for this upcoming season because of the success he had last year, right? He, he's coming off of a really good season in Washington. People might think that he would decline that option and, and become like a either restricted free agent or unrestricted free agent and seek a longer term contract. He's like, nope. I'm going to take my $36 million and maybe he's kind of betting on himself to perform again to get an even bigger contract after this upcoming season. If, if he you know continues on the trajectory that he's on and, and strings together two solid seasons in a row here, a team will be willing to pay him a lot of money. So um, we don't. But the good thing for the Celtics in the short term is we are not committed to Kristaps Porzingis long term. If he gets hurt in the middle of the season, which knock on wood, I'm hoping does not happen, of course, um, even if things you know kind of break for the worse, we are not committed to Kristaps Porzingis on the long term. So I think that that is another positive. And the last piece I will say for the Celtics is hopefully Malcolm Brogdon isn't too pissed, right? I mean, he was <laughs> effectively like traded for like five hours the other day. So again, he's a professional. I'd imagine he, you know, he's been traded before. Of course, we acquired him last offseason from Indiana in a trade. Um, so we do know, and I think he was probably traded from Milwaukee before that as well. So he's been around the block a few times. He's a professional. He's not as um, tied to the city as Marcus Smart was, of course. So hopefully he's not too pissed. Um, and hopefully we can retain him for next season because we're going to need him a lot more in the absence of Marcus Smart, of course. So a lot of Celtics talk there. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Definitely let me know what you think of the Marcus Smart deal. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how the Celtics decide to fill out the rest of this roster as well. Uh, but let's move on to talking about it from the Grizzlies perspective, right? Um, you know, the low-hanging fruit, you know, is that Marcus Smart, they, they acquire him, right? And he is exactly who Dylan Brooks thought he was, right? We talked about it earlier on this podcast, but Dylan Brooks, of course, was kind of positioned as like the scapegoat for Memphis's shortcomings in the first round of the playoffs. Um, you know, and, and it was made very clear that he would not be back in Memphis as soon as the season ended. And they got a guy in Marcus Smart who is, you know, he's, he's basically built in a lab for the grit and grind culture that Memphis has been preaching over the past decade or so. Right. Um, you know, he's, he's obviously gritty. He, he's obviously going to give 110% and he's stepping into a team that is, you know, competing in the Western conference, right? I, I wouldn't necessarily call them a, a title contender, but they've definitely had some really great regular, season success over the past couple years i can't deny that and they are in desperate need of a point guard right um, i should mention that uh, some more notable news that i didn't even mention at the top since the last podcast is that the decision on john morant as far as his suspension for the second instagram live gun incident was announced and Ja is to receive a, a 25 game suspension i believe for the start of next season so obviously that is you know a little more than a quarter of the season right basically a third of the season jaw is going to be gone so they need a point guard, right? Now, it is worth noting that I think the Grizzlies paid a pretty steep price to upgrade from their previous backup point guard and Tyus Jones to Marcus Smart. They basically traded Tyus and, like, two late first for Marcus Smart. So pretty steep price to pay considering I, I do like Tyus Jones. A lot of people around the league do, and he's, you know, kind of the gold standard of what you would want in a backup point guard. But obviously Marcus brings way more, um, you know, to the locker room as far as like a culture setter, as far as a veteran presence, as far as a guy that's probably a little bit more respected around the league. He brings a lot more intensity on the defensive end. Um, but it is a lot for Memphis to give up there. And they kind of still need another guard, right? Like it's not like Marcus is going to be playing 40 minutes a game for the first 25 games of the season. I would expect Memphis to, you know, Either find an option in-house and, and, you know, maybe promote someone from the end of their bench to a bigger role or at least acquire maybe some other veteran guard um, just to prepare at, at, for the very least, for the first 25 games of the season for out job uh, without job. But that being said, you know, I'm going to root for Marcus Smart, as I said before. Um, you know, I'm always going to love that guy. It sucks that he's in Memphis and I have to root for at least somebody on Memphis. But I do think, you know, for this season, at, at least in the short term, he's going to be really good for Memphis. He still has some left in the tank, even if he's not, you know, the same defensive player of the year from a couple years ago. I think he's going to, you know, they're going to love him there. There's no questions about that. And so um, they answered the jaw suspension in the best way that they could. And and they were willing to pay a couple late first to to get in on that. So, um, I think that basically covers it from Memphis's perspective. Um, so let's talk about it from Washington's perspective again real quick. Um, this is a better result from the, you know, they didn't get a ton. Uh, they didn't get a massive haul uh, for Christoph Przingis, just as a reminder. Uh, they did receive Tyus Jones, Danilo Gallinari, Mike Muscala, and the number 35 pick in last night's draft. So they didn't get a huge haul for Porzingis, but you have to remember, right, you know, Porzingis could have opted out of that deal, and again, he either would have become a he would have been a free agent in some capacity, so there was a chance that the, the Wizards were just going to lose Kristaps for nothing. So even though he's coming off a career year, and you look at this trade that just transpired, 
um, you know, I don't think that there was this massive market for Kristaps Porzingis, right? I think they kind of made the most of the situation that they're in. And it is certainly no secret that they're tanking at this point. Um, they did end up trading the number 35 pick in last night's draft. They didn't keep and make that selection. So that's worth noting as well. Um, and they did get a guy in Tyus Jones where, look, you got to pay somebody, right? Um, they're going to have a guy in Tyus Jones who, whether if they decide to keep him, he's going to be a good veteran presence for some of the guys they did bring in in the draft last night. They drafted, oh boy, his name's like Bilal Kubliale. That, that's a tough that's a tough name for me right now. But uh, he's actually uh, Victor Wembanyama's teammate uh, coming from that French team there who is a great athlete, shown some real defensive flashes. So they have a young guy like that and, and some other young guys on their roster, of course, Johnny Davis from last year. They can learn a lot from Tyus Jones. So he's a, the type of guy you want in your locker room. And on top of that, maybe they're not done moving, right? Maybe they're not done making moves. They certainly have a couple more big decisions to come with Kyle Kuzma and whatnot. Maybe Tyus Jones is sent to another team because, again, he is a trade asset. He is... Um, a, a really big trade target for teams that are going to be point guard needy. And even if they don't decide to move him before the end of the offseason, he could be somebody that the Wizards look to move uh, in this upcoming trade deadline in February of 2024. So that puts a bow on the Marcus Smart, Kristaps Porzingis, and Tyus Jones trade. Okay, so we have one more trade to run through before we get into exactly what transpired last night on the night of the NBA draft. And this one's probably the most fun. Uh, certainly not a trade that I saw coming. I can't imagine many other people did either. But this one was a trade between the Warriors and the Wizards. So Wizards' third move. Uh, and this one, the Warriors received Chris Paul. So Chris Paul, who was on the Wizards for about four days there, something like that, is now on the Golden State Warriors. And in that deal... Uh, in return for Chris Paul, the Wizards received Jordan Poole, uh, Ryan Rollins, don't know exactly who that is, a 2030 protected first-round pick, and a 2027 second-round pick. So in a nutshell, uh, the Warriors actually paid up to get off of Jordan Poole's contract is essentially what that comes down to, right? They threw in uh, a protected first-round pick way down the road as well as a 2027 second-round pick in addition to Jordan Poole to get off of that massive contract that they signed him to last offseason. And in return, they have basically a one-year rental of Chris Paul, who's on an expiring contract after this season. So let's start about, uh, you know, start analyzing this trade from the Warriors' perspective, right? This is genuinely like a very, a very fascinating trade um, because basically um, Chris Paul does not fit what Golden State likes to do whatsoever, right? Golden State's all about movement. It's all about uh, cutting. It's all about, you know, three points, spot up shooting, things of that nature where Chris Paul um, is a lot slower paced. He's a lot more methodical. He likes to have the ball in his hand and kind of orchestrate and diagnose things as they happen. The Warriors, it's all about like a style of play that, again, just doesn't really fit Chris Paul's style, especially, you know, 37, 38-year-old Chris Paul, whatever he is at this point. So uh, it's certainly not like a great fit on paper. But that being said, I do trust that the Warriors have some of the best basketball minds there are, right? And they have some of the smartest players in the league and Steph and Draymond, of course, and pairing him up with, you know, point you know, Chris Paul, the, the point god, if you will, kind of a corny nickname, but whatever. You know, one of the smartest dudes in the NBA in his own right. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I do think that they're going to be able to figure it out, right? You know, I think, you know, the safe assumption for Chris Paul's role is like, look, the, the positive thing if you're Chris Paul is obviously you're getting a chance to contend for a championship if you're part of Golden State, right? If you can't beat him, join him. He's going to be on the Golden State Warriors, and he's going to have a chance to contend for a title. Um, you know, you could argue he would have had a chance for a title in Phoenix, but... You know, for whatever it's worth, he's still on a contending team, so that's great for him. He's also on a team that, you know, shouldn't really have to put many minutes on Chris Paul during the regular season, right? He should very much be their backup point guard and their, you know, their guy off the bench to generate offense, right? Um, so it should be interesting to see how maybe he can kind of bring a life to, you know, some of the role players uh, that are in need of maybe a more traditional point guard and a guy like Jonathan Kuminga and Moses Moody. Maybe he can get those guys going with some traditional point guard play. Uh, but it, I I don't know. I don't know if that's going to work out, right? It did kind of seem like Chris Paul's jump shot was kind of, you know, his three-point shot anyway was failing him a bit uh, toward the end of last season. But that being said, when you look at the stats, he actually still shot, uh, what was it? I think he shot like 37% last season, so or 38% uh, on, on the year last year. So 
still a solid enough three-point shooting. Um, he has had to adjust many times in his career, like he had, you know, his one year in Oklahoma City, uh, where he kind of dragged that team into the playoff picture, right? Chris Paul also played alongside J James Harden, which was, you know, again, very conflicting styles of basketball there, in addition to all of his years of success in New Orleans and Los Angeles. So Chris Paul always finds a way to, to help his team win. So it is funny to see him in a Golden State jersey next season, and, and we'll see how it all plays out. I'm excited uh, to see exactly how that dynamic looks through the first couple games of of next season. Um, another notable thing from the Warriors' perspective is, look, it ended the the awkwardness, if you will, the rift uh, between Draymond Green and Jordan Poole. As I'm sure you guys have heard, this has been covered at nauseum. But you know, Jordan Poole, you know, punched the shit out of out of Jordan, Poole, or excuse me, Draymond Green punched the shit out of Jordan Poole at the start of last season. That the video was somehow released and everybody saw it, and it was awkward. And Draymond, you know, covered it on his podcast and all that stuff. And basically, it was pretty obvious that, like, look, you know, no matter how much the team talks about how they've moved past it, it's always going to be awkward between Draymond Green and Jordan Poole. And there was also an added awkwardness because the front office of the Warriors decided to pay Draymond or decided to pay Jordan Poole after their championship title last year and they didn't extend Draymond Green and they still haven't for that matter uh, but it does seem like they're siding with Draymond they're siding with his preferences and they're moving on from Jordan Poole they should have the money to pay Draymond I would expect fully expect uh, Draymond Green to be back in a Golden State uniform next season uh, and I think that the front office made the right decision in obviously deciding to, to keep Draymond um, over Jordan Poole if, if one of those two really did have to go and finally let's talk about it from washington's perspective they've this is again their third move obviously um let the tanking begin right first and foremost you know they were on my purgatory list when i did the, the tier rankings a couple months ago at this point right and that's a really hard place to get out of right they're they're in purgatory for a reason uh, i was telling them that they needed to hit the button and blow the thing up and they finally did now given that washington moved on from their three biggest named players in the past couple days you would have kind of like to see them accumulate at least more first round picks and maybe some at least more desired or, or higher value first round picks if they were going to give up that much talent. That being said, you know, you have to understand that the guys that they traded, they weren't in the best contract situations, right? Beal was massively overpaid, right? It, it's pretty unlikely that he lives up to the contract that Washington signed him to last offseason. Uh, of course, we just ran through Porzingis a couple minutes ago. And then Chris Paul, um, he was a one-year rental, right, who they acquired and then immediately, you know, traded away back to Golden State, right? Um, so, you know, you kind of understand that, that the draft capital isn't going to be as all that it's cracked up to be when you see the names on paper. Uh, but I do think it's worth noting, like, look, I'm not a Jordan Poole guy. We all know that. But love him or hate him, I think it makes complete sense for Washington to target a guy like that, right? You know, first and foremost, you know, you got a guy that is young. You got a guy with upside. You got a guy with a lot of talent. And shout out to the sales team in Washington, right? You need somebody to sell. I've been there. I've been in, in that inside sales room for a, a not super exciting franchise. You need somebody to put on the posters. You need somebody to drive ticket sales. And at least, you know, Jordan Poole is a recognizable face. He's been on a championship team. He has a ring, right? Um, he's made some insane, for every dumb boneheaded play that he makes, he makes an equally insane shot on offense, a crazy highlight play that, you know, you know, viral social media loves, right? Uh, so I think that you need somebody like Jordan Poole. And you also literally need to pay somebody, right? Like you, there is a salary, you know, cap floor that exists in the NBA. And, you know, Washington would probably be in danger of, you know, not even meeting that floor if they didn't, you know, weren't paying Jordan Poole his insane contract, which I think was like, what, four years, $128 million. So yeah, uh, with that, they can see, you know, that contract to the end if they really want, or they can look to move him if he's able to you know, build up some of his trade value when he's out there taking 25 shots a game uh, for the Wizards next season. So I enjoy it because I'm not a Jordan Poole guy, and now he is literally sent to basketball purgatory off of, you know, a team that I really enjoy watching in Golden State. So uh, this is a good one for me as well, personally. Um, and of course, you know, right, Washington's hitting the button. They're tanking. That's been established. Um, you would, if you're picking nits, like to have seen them done this a little bit earlier, like I talked about. Like, I know it's hard to just uproot everything midseason. Uh, I'm not saying they should have done it when I said to do it during the you know, original tier ranking podcast or anything like that but it just would have been nice for them to have already started the tanking process so they could have had at least a shot in hell at Victor Wembanyama who of course was taken number one by the Spurs last night because that guy really is that special um, and I'm not exactly sure what the prospects look like over the next couple years in the draft but um, you know they're not going to get a guy like Victor at the top um, like they would you know like they could have had a chance at if they were tanking before this season because it's been obvious for several years that Washington was never going to contend for a title with Bradley Beal as its best player so 
Finally, we've made it through the trades. I know I spent a lot of time on those trades, but frankly, I think the trades are a little bit more fun to analyze. Again, I've, I've been very candid with my lack of knowledge on a lot of these draft prospects, so I wanted to spend more time analyzing the moves and the big storylines that have gone down over the last week rather than just focusing on each individual you know, draft pick, right? So we're not going to be doing that, but let's kind of go through the draft and, and kind of talk about my general thoughts at first, right? You know, the first thing that jumped out to me was it was really cool and unique to see, obviously, how much of the game has grown. It feels like we can talk about that each and every year. But in this year in particular, right, two of the top seven picks in the draft, only two of those guys came from college basketball, came from the NCAA, right? Of course, you had Victor Wembanyama from France coming from at, you know, at the number one spot. You had, you know, a college player in Brandon Miller at number two, and then you had Scoot Henderson from the G League at the number three pick uh, from the G League Ignite. You had two guys from Overtime Elite, uh, the Thompson Twins, who I, you know, I literally did not know Overtime Elite existed until a couple weeks ago. So that's cool. That's it's a separate league altogether, um, you know, for non-pro players or semi-pro players or whatever. Um, then you had another college player go at number six in Anthony Black. And then finally, you had Victor's teammate to round out the top seven, um, you know, who came over from the Metro 92 team in France. So pretty cool to see that, again, only two of the top seven coming from college ball. It seems like a trend that's going to continue uh, over the next decade or so. It's, it's, you know, really a credit to the NBA for how much they've grown the game. It's, it's super cool to see. So, you know, secondly, my experience watching the draft, right, I think it became increasingly frustrating for me as we got into the late, um, you know, the late first round and certainly the early second round. Uh, because it was really, really confusing with how many trades were going down. I'm obviously not going to break down all the draft pick trades because it was insane. Again, this is really one of the only two times of the year where trades actually, you know, take place. It's around the NBA draft. And then, of course, at the trade deadline are the only times uh, these moves tend to get done. So that being said, it was extremely confusing when we hit the mid-20s. And, of course... You know, part of my disdain was because, again, I was pretty hopeful that the Celtics were going to take like a young, exciting wing at, at the 25th pick. Um, I had actually outlined to, to my guy, Connor, he was asking me who I wanted the Celtics to take at 25. And I was like, you know, I really like, you know, I haven't done much research, but I really like this guy, Jet Howard from Michigan, right? He's he's Jawan Howard's son. He's got, you know, great size at 6'8". He could be the wing that we're looking for. He shoots it as a high clip. He's a little raw but I love the talent. And then he goes number 11. <laughs> so I was I was hoping he was going to be there. I, I think a lot of the mocks had him in the mid-20s. And then Orlando actually ends up reaching on him and taking him at number 11. So uh, that was a pretty big disappointment for me there. And then it only got worse because the Celtics proceeded to trade back a couple times. You know, just my, my last Celtics nugget here. I think the only guy that they ended up with um, actually selecting was they ended up with the 38th pick and they took Jordan Walsh, a forward out of Arkansas, um, don't know a ton about him, but uh, you know, at this point, if the Celtics decided to move back multiple times, I can't imagine that they identified anybody in the late 20s or early second round that you know they saw as a guy that could immediately come in and you know play a part in a rotation on a team that's contending for a championship, right? That's the expectation for the Celtics. It's so hard to do what the Nuggets did in Christian Brown and find a guy that can immediately step in to a championship rotation and make a real difference. So the Celtics were probably like, yeah, we're, we're not going to find anybody in this zone. So I would expect them to address those needs at you know the wing position and the needs at big man with more veteran presence and subsequent free agent signings and trades to come. Because um, I don't think, no disrespect to Jordan Walsh, maybe he'll end up you know playing a part in the Celtics' future down the road. I just can't see him having an impact this upcoming season. But... So that was a little frustrating, but yeah, man, it got so confusing with the trades in the mid-20s. And then it got, actually, we hit a point in like the early second round where it looks like literally the first 10 picks of the second round were all traded. Like none of them went to the teams that it was originally, that they were originally slotted to go to before the draft started. So it was absolute chaos. You know, dudes are wearing the wrong hat left and right. Um, you know, you're going on Twitter, you're reading what Shams is saying because Woj basically retired from Twitter during the draft because he was on the ESPN broadcast. Super confusing, made for not a great product. And, and you know, at that point, only the Hardos are watching the draft anyway. But I didn't love the experience of watching the draft. At least on the positive side of things, they stayed away from the sad, you know, heartbreaking, like, who died in your family storylines um, that we saw a lot of, you know, with especially the NFL draft during the COVID year. That was particularly awful. Uh, but anyways, so those are some of the things that jumped out at me. And, and the final piece overall um, is Portland, right? Portland really jumped out at me, not calling them a winner, not calling them a loser, but I am saying that they have a major decision to make, right? Because a lot of the debate, you know, a lot of people said that the draft started at four. Other people said that the draft started at two after Wembenyama. Uh, because basically at the second pick, you had Charlotte there. And there were two guys slotted to go 
either two or go three and in sub order. It was Brandon Miller, the forward out of Alabama, and then Scoot Henderson, the guard from the G League Ignite. Um, those two had like basically their odds swapped on and off over the past couple of days. Um, you know, a lot of people and prominent in the media seem to be Scoot guys just because of the charisma that he has. He, he does seem like a special player. I'd probably want to go with a guy like Scoot, um, you know, to kind of be the, the face of the franchise for some of those teams at the top of the draft. But ultimately, Brandon Miller ended up being the pick to Charlotte. They felt like his, you know, positional versatility, him being 6'9", fitting alongside the mellow ball would be a better positional fit and better address the team needs. And maybe they thought of him as a better overall prospect than Scoot. You know, there's certainly an argument to be made there. But the important thing is that, look, Scoot Henderson fell to number three in the draft. It was the obvious pick for Portland. They made the right pick. They picked Scoot. And now where does that leave him, right? Now that Portland is clearly at a fork in the road moment, you know, now Portland's four best assets are guards and three of the four guards being, you know, pretty significantly undersized, you know, those four guards being, of course, Dame, Scoot Henderson, who they just drafted, Shaden Sharp, who they drafted last year, and Anthony Simons, who they drafted a couple years ago, um, are arguably the four most talented players in the roster and certainly the four best trade assets, in my opinion. So what, what do they do here, right? You could make the argument if they had, you know, if Brandon Miller had been the one that fall, fell to them, they wouldn't be forced as much into making a decision on Dame because there is more of a logical fit for Dame to have, you know, for Brandon Miller to fit alongside a guy like Dame where, you know, Scoot and Dame, the fit of those two on the court together, I'm not saying it can't work, but again, it just doesn't make doesn't make much sense with the guards that you have on the roster. Now, again, when you're drafting that high in the draft, you're drafting that high in the draft because you have team needs all over the place. You should not draft based on team need. You should draft based on who is the best available player. They made the right pick and scoop, but they do have more decisions to make. And frankly, you know, I love Dame. I know he's allergic to the grind. He never wants to leave Portland. I understand that. I'm not saying you just have to ship that guy out, but I, I do think it's genuinely in the best interest of the franchise to move on from him. Give the keys to Scoot, you know, keep Shaden Sharp around as well and look to move on from a guy like Dame. Maybe even look on to move move on from a guy like Anthony Simons and really rebuild this thing because it's a good, as good of an opportunity as any to rebuild. Because even if they make the move and they move on from Scoot and they move on from Shaden Sharp and they try to bring others some veteran presence, I just... I can't see a world in which they they bring in enough talent around Dame to contend for a title with the roster. They have so much defensive, you know, uh, shortcomings already. They were basically the worst defense in the league last year, or, or certainly one of the worst defenses in the league last year. And them having all these smart small guards, you know, as much as I like Scoot, he's not going to immediately make a positive impact on that defense, I don't think. So um, they're kind of going nowhere fast. They they were also a team I put in purgatory, and I think that they should follow the Wizards' lead, uh, lead anyway. Blow this thing up. Um, build around Scoot and and see where they're at in years to come. So that's kind of my overarching thoughts on the on the NBA draft. I did want to go through and give my opinion on on the three biggest winners of the draft. Right? Who who do I think were the biggest winners of last night, just based on their draft selections and some of the moves that they made? You know, the first team. Let's start off. Let's get the obvious out of the way. The winner of the draft is San Antonio. It's boring. It's been overplayed. We we talked about how good Victor Wembanyama is, but I have to mention that at the top. He's genuinely the best prospect that we've ever seen, you know, probably since LeBron. He probably isn't as good of a prospect as LeBron, but he's seven foot five. Even if he, you know, he struggles shooting the ball, you know, he doesn't shoot the ball as well as he did for his, his team in France this year. What he's going to provide on the defensive end immediately is going to be special. The dude's seven five. He's got an he's got over an eight foot wingspan. It's it's absolutely ridiculous what that good that guy is going to provide for San Antonio. He's he's genuinely bringing hope to the team that that as I said before needed Wembenyama more than anybody else. Um, so I think that they they obviously won the draft. Uh, you know a couple weeks ago when they they landed first in the lottery. And then I also like that they took they took Leonard Miller uh, a forward also out of the G League Ignite. I want to say. Um, they actually took him at number 33, so the start of the second round, and he was a dude that I saw on mocks that could have gone as high as, as in the 20s, So, um, and he's a really great athlete as well. So I think Leonard Miller is, is a guy that would pair nicely to the young core that they have in San Antonio. So San Antonio is the winner of the draft. Let's move on to some other teams that I thought uh, really crushed it last night. And I think we got to talk about the Rockets, right? Um, obviously they had the fourth pick in the draft. That was a little bit lower of a draft pick than they were hoping for. Um, they obviously had a very good chance at Victor Wembanyama, and they, and they weren't blessed like San Antonio was. They end up at number four. They take the first of the two Thompson twins that were selected. They take, 
uh, Amen Thompson, Amen Thompson, whatever, uh, of the overtime elite. Um, he's somebody that's supposed to bring immediately a lot of playmaking to the team, really good size at basically six foot seven, um, you know, pretty solid defender as well. But frankly, a guard that can come in, play alongside Jalen Green, actually share the rock a little bit. So I think he's going to be a really solid pickup for them at four. But that wasn't the pick that won them the draft, right? I think, you know, the obvious pick and, and possibly the biggest story of the draft last night was Cam Whitmore, right? Cam Whitmore, Whitmore a forward out of Villanova. Um, he was a guy that some people had going as high as like four on some mock drafts. He ended up falling all the way to number 20 where he was selected by the Rockets. So, um, you know, that, you know, obviously the cameras are, are drawn to Whitmore, right? And they're showing him just like they showed uh, what was it? Will Levitz at the NFL draft a couple weeks ago, right? They were kind of glued to him because he was the big follower of the draft. But, you know, Houston had that second pick there, and it, it seemed like a pretty obvious choice. Like somebody was going to have to pull the trigger on him now. He probably fell, if you had to guess, I, I'd imagine it would have to be medical reasons at this point. I was I heard on a couple podcasts that there were some yellow flags surrounding his medical history. So um, that never really bodes well and that's probably what you know kind of started his fall uh, all the way into the 20s but he's a dude that can score the rock right away uh fitting in with the the previous rockets mold apparently he doesn't share the rock very much but the way he can attack the basket he's supposed to be a really special athlete at six foot seven uh with some outside shooting ability as well um another toy for Ime, right Ime is going to be of course the head coach of the rockets next season Ime Odoka, and so i think he's going to have a lot of talent to work with and it wouldn't surprise me if houston's able to turn that around pretty quickly by bringing in Thompson bringing in Whitmore already having some talent in green Shangoon Jabari Smith there. Um, it'll be interesting to see how quickly Houston can turn this thing around. Finally, the biggest winner um, kind of pains me to say this. I'm a bit of a Mavericks hater, but I do have to admit I was overall really impressed with the moves that Dallas made last night. And let's, let's talk about it, right? Starting at the top, they had the 10th pick in the draft, right? This is what we talked about. They threw away the last couple of weeks of the regular season, basically to make sure that they would, you know, maximize their chances at landing that 10th pick. Of course, that paid off a couple of weeks ago during the lottery where it found out they got that 10th pick. If it was any later than 10, that pick would have actually gone to New York as the final piece of compensation in the original Kristaps Porzingis trade. And the first move that Dallas made was trading back from 10 to 12. So they traded with the Thunder. They moved two picks back and the incentive for you know, Dallas to do that trade and move back as they pawned off the shitty Davis Bertans contract to Oklahoma City. And in exchange for taking that dog shit contract, they moved back two, pick, two picks in the draft. So move back two spots, they get rid of Bertans, and they draft Derek Lively, the center from Duke. This is a guy that was formerly a top high school recruit in his class. Uh, massive frame. He's seven foot one, seven seven wingspan. Um, you know, didn't watch a ton, of, again, of college ball last year, but I did catch a couple Duke games. Apparently, he's supposed to have outside shooting ability as well that he never really flashed at Duke. But what you do know that you're, what you're getting in Lively is a really athletic guy, but someone that can rim run, someone that can protect the rim. Uh, and basically a, a, what, 19, 20-year-old version of, of everything Dwight Powell does, but better, right? Even if that jump shot never develops for Derek Lively the way that people hope, um, you know, it will be probably a bad pick at 12 if he doesn't end up, you know, maximizing that because you can get a lot of good athletes in the draft. You don't have to draft a center at number 12 uh, if he doesn't end up developing that jump shot. But he's, he should be immediately better than Dwight Powell right away, right? He would have to go be horribly wrong for him to not be able to step into that shitty front court situation and immediately get minutes right um so anyways that they weren't done after after moving back to 12 and making the lively pick right they used the traded player exception that they acquired in that first deal right so they moved on from bertans and they got like a traded player exception and they basically used that to acquire rashawn holmes from the kings as well as the number 24 pick so Rashawn Holmes was signed to a pretty bad contract a year or two ago. Um, you know, he's a, a big man for Sacramento that really couldn't even get minutes on Sacramento who didn't really have a backup center, right? They played Trey Lyles in that spot a few different times and, and Metu as well. Um, you know, mainly Lyles was the one that shined during the, their limited playoff exposure right in the first round in the West. But that being said, they acquire Rashawn, Rashawn Holmes, who isn't a good you know, contract by any means. And it freed up a ton of cap space. That was the incentive for the Kings. The Kings got a bunch of cap space and the Mavericks acquired pick number 24. So a late first round pick and they acquired Rashawn Holmes, right? So again, wh whatever you think of Rashawn Holmes, I think he's more useful to the Mavericks than Davis Bertans was. Maybe he ends up cracking that front court rotation and ends up being insurance if Lively isn't ready right away. Because again, Dwight Powell should be no more than a 12th man on any NBA team, regardless of how good of a teammate he is. I'm sorry, the dude can't play. 
Uh, and that being said, they also got the 24th pick in which they drafted Olivier, uh, Maxence Prosper, the forward out of Marquette. Um, everything I know about this guy is a freak athlete, um, and he defends the hell out of the basketball, right? That's his specialty. Offensively, he seems to be pretty limited. But look, Dallas, they address their biggest needs. They have no front court depth to speak of whatsoever. They address that with the first pick, getting Derek Lively at 12. And then they address their desperate need of a lockdown perimeter defender. And they got that in uh, what they call Olivier Maxence Prosper. They call him Omax, I guess. Um, people seem to be really high on him. And at the very least, there's no doubt about his ability to step into a team and immediately be able to defend. So I would go out on a limb and assume that he immediately assumes a role uh, as a team's defensive specialist and probably best perimeter defender from day one. Um, you know, will they? Will his offense be enough to keep him on the court uh, where he's, you know, if he can avoid being an offensive liability, I think he can play re real minutes for them right away, which is saying something. Because, again, this is late first round. You, it's not often these guys step in for a solid team like Dallas and immediately make contributions. But Dallas knows that, look, they don't have many good players. That's not a secret. They needed to get acquire more assets throughout the draft. And I think that they got – they turned – you know, one draft pick and a, a really shitty player in Davis Bertans into, um, you know, three players that can immediately make a positive impact in Lively, Omax, and then uh, Rashawn Holmes as well. So I do like what Dallas ended up doing. So where there are winners in the draft, there are losers as well, right? So originally my plan, I was going to be like three winners and three biggest losers of the NBA draft. And I was going to like run through that because it sounded nice and it could be like part of the title and whatever. But then like the more I thought about it, I was like, look, I, I can't lie. I don't know a ton about these guys. And I feel a lot better diagnosing three teams that I think are winners based on the team need and some of the moves that they made and how they were able to allocate some of their assets and you know, just addressed mainly just addressing the needs on the roster for semi-competitive teams. So I felt good about naming those winners. But when it came to the losers, I was, you know, I, I found one team that I, I'm going to talk about here in a second. And frankly, no other teams jumped out to me. So I just wanted to talk about, in my opinion, the biggest loser of the draft. And, you know, this is probably low-hanging fruit. I've seen this covered a couple different places. But uh, it didn't really feel like a good time for a zag for me, given my limited draft knowledge. But in my opinion, the biggest draft loser that I saw was the Orlando Magic. So... Unfortunately, this this one kind of pained me to say because you know, the Magic were one of my favorite league pass teams, obviously non non Celtics teams last season, um, and they had you know a lot of draft capital entering this draft. They had the number six pick, they had the number eleven pick as well, and I just don't really love the selections that they made. And so let's talk about it. They they first picked Anthony Black, uh, the tall point guard, point forward, if you will, uh, six foot seven. He's out of Arkansas. They took him at pick number six. Um, of course, fitting with a, an Orlando tradition, he has great size given his position. Um, you know, he does a lot of things well on the court, but frankly, his lack of a jump shot or consistency at, at you know, as far as a jump shot goes, um, really kind of hurts my my opinion of this pick, right? They have a guy, they already have a bunch of guards that are question marks shooting the ball that have a lot of, you know, flashes in Markel Fultz and Jalen, you know, Jalen Suggs was a high pick who's just shown some flashes over the past couple seasons, but I just, you know, I just don't love the Anthony Black selection. It feels like kind of a lateral move, you know, compared to what they already have in Markel Fultz. Like, best case scenario, he's a, a taller, you know, Markel Fultz, and maybe he develops a jump shot. I just I just didn't love the fit at six. I thought there were better options on the board. And then at number 11, this was the one that was really tough. Uh, again, I jokingly thought this guy could go to the Celtics at 25 because that's where most of the mocks had him. They drafted Jet Howard, the forward out of Michigan, again, son of Jawan Howard, at number 11. So... While Cam Whitmore was easily the biggest, you know, faller in the draft, he, he was on an absolute free fall from, you know, mocked around pick five all the way down to 20. You know, Jet Howard was definitely the biggest riser as someone mocked in the 20s who went all the way up to 11. And this this pick had everybody puzzled. You know, people said he wasn't even the most talented player on his team at Michigan. I know Kobe Bluffkin ended up going a couple picks later. I think he ended up in Atlanta, right? Let me double check that. Uh, yeah, he ended up in Atlanta. So, Anyways, it's pretty interesting to see Jet go before his teammate at Michigan. And, you know, again, like Orlando does, they draft a guy with great size, six foot eight. Um, you know, if all goes well, right, you could have a potential lineup of Anthony Black at six foot seven, uh, Jet Howard at six foot eight at the two. And then you could have Franz and Paulo at like six ten, six eleven at the forward spots, and then have Wendell Carter um, at six foot eleven at the center position. Or if you want to get crazy, you can toss seven foot two Bull Bull out there. Orlando, Orlando's got height all over the place. I just feel like I would have liked to see them get somebody a little bit more defined, maybe a little bit more uh, proven at the guard position. Certainly someone more proven with the jump shot. I know, you know, maybe they got screwed over when neither of the Thompson twins kind of fell to them at six, but 
I just didn't like what Orlando did. If they really fell in love with a guy like Jet Howard, all signs are pointing to him being available later in the draft. So, you know, I, a lot of teams had, uh, the, like, I think there was only like, you know, there was, I think there was like, what, like five or six teams that had like 15 picks in the first round, right? If you were, that kind of usually means that there's a lot of different room for you to trade back in the draft. We saw a bunch of different teams execute trade backs to get guys um, to recoup more draft capital while still getting guys that were high on their board. If you are in love with a guy like Jet Howard and you want to pick him at number 11, odds are you might be able to trade back a couple picks and, and recoup some assets and maybe take him at like 15 or 18 or something like that, right? Um, but Orlando, they stuck to their guns. They drafted the guy. So, in my opinion, they're they're the biggest loser right now. That being said, take it with a grain of salt. If these guys come out and are awesome right away, which they easily could be, I will be eating my words. And mock drafts are mock drafts for a reason, right? Nobody has any idea what is going to happen in the first round, unless you're Connor O'Shea, because Connor dominated our draft pool. He literally picked like half of the first round correct. It was it was kind of wild. So congratulations to him. If you're not Connor, you don't know anything about who's actually going to go where, uh, because these mock drafts are always, you know, there's always at least a few guys that are wildly inaccurate so if they were really in love with this guy and they didn't want to mess around with the trade back um you know that's okay they just you know really have to hope that this pick works out because if jet howard isn't a, a strong contributor for them right away uh people are going to be pointing the finger at orlando because they are a team that a lot of people like with a lot of young talent and if they aren't able to successfully build around paulo and franz um it's going to get ugly for them in short order because they have a lot of young guys that need to get minutes on that team all right, guys, that just about does it. Appreciate you guys sticking with me for a longer pod, especially for a solo episode. But we did have three really exciting trades to talk about, as well as the NFL draft, the NBA draft, uh, which took place last night. So that was a lot of fun. Hopefully you guys enjoyed listening to this podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed watching the draft last night. Uh, as far as the schedule for this podcast, I will be coming with you at, coming at you at some point next week. We should have a lot to talk about, right? We are, uh, you know, Free agency for the NBA officially starts on July 1st, so you know almost exactly a week from when you guys are going to be listening to this, we will have uh, a bunch of initial signings going down. And um, even if I, you know, wait, get an episode out before that, uh, we should be in like the somewhat semi-legal tampering phase where we know exactly who's going where, and we should have a couple different trades and and signings to report. Uh, so that'll be basically what we talk about on the next podcast at some point next week, maybe Wednesday or Thursday of next week. I'll be back at you with another pod. And before I let you guys go, of course, follow at Words with Wallace on everything, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, be sure to download, download the pod, rate and review the show if you're feeling generous today. Uh, certainly share the show, tell a friend, uh, and I will be back with you guys next week. I will talk to you then. Peace. 